Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultra Maalione, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. Welcome, everyone, and welcome, Dan. Thank you, Lama. It's great to be here with you. You know, we're actually together physically. (laughs) I'm in Los Angeles, uh, in Santa Monica, actually, at Mindsight Institute with Dan. So that's a beautiful thing for us. We met in uh, Costa Rica last year at Blue Spirit, which is a retreat center on the coast of Nosara, which is the very northwest part of Costa Rica. And Dan was teaching there, and I was visiting. And then he came up to my house, and we just kind of have been getting to know each other this year. And I love him. Yeah, I love his work. And I'm so excited about this book that is out right now, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Dan and I have talked a little bit about this idea of this book, which I actually have right here, an actual copy called Intra Connected. And uh, it's a pretty substantial book, as are all of his books. Mm-hmm. What is this number? What? 19. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me the other day, so I had to count. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking the other day, and he said, I think I have an addiction. I was like, oh, really? He said, to writing books, I've got three more coming. (laughs) So maybe just talk about this book and uh, why you wrote it. What is this for the world that you're giving? What are you trying to offer? You know, the the book is an invitation for a conversation that two people might have or a parent might have with a child, Mm. a teacher might have with students in the classroom, an organization might have as a collection of people, or a government might have in terms of policy or even our whole human family. And it asks a really simple question. It says, you know, this word self, that we have in so many different languages, this center of experience, why does it have to be a synonym for the body? Why does the center of our identity and the features that we use to determine how we belong have to be around the body's beliefs or the body's appearance or the body's history? And the word intraconnected came from an opportunity I had I was working with some system scientists at MIT, mm-hmm. and we went on a retreat in Colorado, and we spent three days by ourselves in the forest. And when we came out of the forest, everyone was sharing their experience and, and using words like I was interconnected, I, I felt interlaced, I referred to Thich Nhat Hanh's beautiful term, interbeing, I was interwoven. And then it came my time to speak, and the inter-prefix of those words mm-hmm. just didn't feel like, even though I could resonate with their experience, it mm-hmm. didn't feel like 
what it was. So after a couple of hours in the forest for this body, what the experience was, was there was the body called Dan and I was also the trees and I was the creek and I was the sky and it was all one thing. And so I was trying to figure out what do you say in English at least mm -hmm. when you're trying to share that experience of the whole of the connectedness. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't use the interconnected term because it meant this body was connected to that tree, connected to that tree. Mm -hmm. So I said the word intraconnected and people kind of nodded and I said, that feels right. And when I came out of the forest and we all went back to our rooms where we were staying mm -hmm. in a lodge and I used my computer to type that out and say, this is what the feeling was. Mm -hmm. The autocorrect kept on changing it to interconnected. Yeah. And I said, what's wrong with the autocorrector? You know, and I looked it up. There was no such word as intraconnected mm -hmm. and there wasn't a symbol, linguistic term, a word for how do we speak about the feeling of the whole? How do we mm -hmm. speak about the perspective of the whole or the agency and those three things, subjective sense of something, the S perspective and agency. Those are three ways in science. Anyway, we say this is self-experience has subjectivity, perspective and agency. So then I thought, wow, then maybe there ought to be a conversation about how we don't even have a word to talk about the wholeness of being really. And I had been using a word called mui, you know, me plus we as an integration of self where you are both in a body and your relationships with people and nature. And so I said to my publisher, how about if we have a book called mui? And she said, no one knows what mui is. No, we're not gonna have that be the name of the book. I said, have an interconnect and she said okay that's fine mm -hmm. so I, I have the equation we you know say me plus we yeah, as the integration of self identity belonging. you know words are important because beneath them are concepts mm -hmm. and categories yeah. so when we say even the phrase self and other it it separates you and so this book is really an invitation you know to say the noun of the separate self the entity identity which gives us this illusion of certainty as a noun what we really are, are verbs and more like plural verbs you have an interiority to your verb-like unfolding but also a relationality to it because the skull and the skin aren't barriers that block the fundamental essence of experience is energy flow so then when you realize that when you drop out of the illusion of separateness that nouns like self create you become free yeah i was talking a, a lot about that when i was teaching sahaja last time in in uh, costa rica and in my retreat there was a eight-year-old boy who insisted he wanted to go to every session of this retreat that was a lot of meditation and a lot of pretty i don't know advanced concepts ideas including the idea that everything is a verb mm. and, in, and there is no solidity. There is no actual static thing that we could name as a thing. And therefore everything is changing. Everything is in motion and everything is impermanent. And so it sounds similar to, to what you're saying. And, and he went back to his classroom because he took a week off to do this. And, and he, was, he had to give a little presentation about 
how it went. And I heard from his mother that she said, everything is a fur. That's what I learned in Costa Rica. <laughs> so, but That's you talk so about nouns and verbs. Talk about that. like. Well, yeah, I mean, it relates in a way to the notion of integration is that you differentiate and link. So, And I can hear you. Yes. <laughs> so this is, and I can also see you here. So this is great. So so the, the, the idea of integration is that you differentiate and you link. So the nouns and the verbs of our linguistic, you know, vocabulary and now you can hear the experience of a, a siren going by so we can feel in our hearts you know the suffering that might be going on with someone if that's an ambulance we can hold that and you could say well i have a body which literally has a heart in it which you may be able to feel in the sensation idea and if you were going for heart surgery you'd want your surgeon to know that there's a noun of a scalpel to do their work. You'd want, and I always make this kind of joke about you know, workshops, if, if people are, are leaving the workshop, they should realize that the car is kind of like a noun, it's a thing that we drive through space. And when they get to a red light, even though they may say everything is a verb, uh -huh. press on the brakes of your noun-like car because you will become one with everything in the intersection if you don't <laughs> stop the car at the red light. So there's a place for realizing the noun-like entity quality of a car that shouldn't hit another entity uh -huh. in a traffic intersection. And at the same time, we can drop beneath the noun-like illusion uh -huh. that gives us a quality of certainty that sometimes is real and open to the verb-like nature of the interconnectedness yeah. of everything and when you when you when you work with integration then you realize there are nouns and there are verbs so on the one hand yeah. underneath everything sure it's verb like but it would be better that you don't crash in yeah. an intersection and realize i have a noun like quality of the car and the body and the car and i'm going to respect that it's a thing separated in time and space and i don't want to share the time and space in a traffic intersection. I actually want to acknowledge, you know, what we call the Newtonian, you know, macrostate view of time and space separating us. But in quantum physics, we know that everything is a verb. It's all a bunch of probability distributions. And we now know, you know, that space and time that exist in the noun-like macrostate world of bodies, or planets, doesn't really function in the same way mm. that you don't have time and space separation in the quantum realm, if you want to use the word realm. So that just allows us for me as a scientist to be able to say in the macro state world that Newton studied, we could talk about a noun like the moon and gravity from earth affecting the moon's trajectory and are spinning around the sun. Those are entities. Those are objects that have now. macro state noun-like qualities. But at the same time, there are verb-like aspects. So, so it's really recognized that now in indigenous cultures, there are many more verbs and nouns like the Potawatomi in, in what we call North America or the Aborigine in Australia, many more verbs and nouns. In English, majority of nouns. Mm -hmm. So when we realize that the language we use influences the concepts we have mm -hmm. and the concepts 
are the beliefs about the nature of reality. Yeah. And when you realize you perceive what you believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you go, whoa. So if I'm in a family using many nouns, I go to school, there's many nouns. I go to work, there's many nouns. There's society, many nouns. I'm going to actually believe the world is only noun-like. And that's the way the mind works. So then you're actually not going to perceive the verb-like reality of nature because you believe everything is nouns mm -hmm. because of the words we use. You're, so that's yeah. why, you know, in the interconnected book, I try to make it a relationship with the reader where we go on a slow journey across the lifespan to look at how does this noun-like illusion of a solo self not only imprison us, but we don't even know we're in a prison. Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. that's the challenge. And so then in writing a book with words in English, or mostly are nouns, how do you actually slowly yeah. actually challenge the very, you know unravel that. Unraveled yeah. with exactly what you're using the languaging. Yeah. So that's why the book took so long to write and uh, went through many iterations and you know finally this yeah. form which I'm happy it's in. It's interesting because in Buddhism, we talk about absolute and relative truth, mm -hmm. which is very similar. Yeah. So the relative truth is you need to stop at the stoplight or you're going to get arrested. And the absolute truth is that it's actually light. The stoplight is light. The, the column of it is light. It's all luminosity expressing itself in the dynamic, ever-changing process that is not solid and so that view of absolute truth or absolute reality is always held with relative truth and so this 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 mudra it's held usually at the heart and the it's two the two dharma wheels mm -hmm. and so the upper one is the absolute truth and the lower one is the relative truth this is the Way Prajnaparamita in some forms of Prajnaparamita. That's how she holds her hands. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to not lose the absolute, to, to really be able to experience that and rest in it, but at the relative level to, to function yeah. in, in, a, in a normal way. So I want to ask you about something that you said there. And to talk a little bit more about the quantum, this quantum idea of reality from quantum physics. Can you, can you talk about that in relation to interconnectedness? Well, a, a very brief reference to actually our camera is sitting on a table and this table has a glass center and a wooden rim. So you can see it, Mama, but our, our, People joining us can't see it, but just so you know, years ago in the 1990s, I designed this table and I was working with lots of patients and wanted to bring two conceptual ideas that we call consilience that were from different ways of looking at things together. One was that integration, the, the differentiation and linkage of parts seemed to be the base of well-being. Talk a little bit more about that one. Sure. So talk about how that's the basis of well-being. You know, I have a 500-page book, The Developing Mind, which sure talks about the science of that. So I'll try to summarize it. But 
What about the experience of it? Yeah, well, the experience of it is harmony. When, when you honor differences, let's say in your memory and bringing those in kind of like the roomy poem, the guest house and let everything be present, then the experience of that open field that he talks about emerges in a sense of harmony. If you look at the subjective quality of a relationship, when two people in a romantic relationship honor differences, but also promote linkages with compassion and communication, there's a feeling of aliveness and harmony. It has a flexibility to it, adaptability to it, a quality of coherence and energy. And it also feels like it's reliable, that it's stable. That spells the word faces because I'm an acronym nut. It's another addiction I have. So now you have flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable. And when I was seeing lots of patients, I noticed that everyone, and I thought I was losing my mind, but everyone either came with chaos, rigidity, or both as the foundation of mental suffering. So then I started asking my supervisors when I was in training, you know, what's going on? Why is everyone with chaos or rigidity or both? They go, what are you talking about? It's the diagnostic Bible you need to refer to. I go, mm -hmm. well, beneath all those categories you right. made up, everyone's got rigidity or chaos or both. And I mm -hmm. go through all the things. So, so I, I began this search to figure out what's the relationship between the harmony you feel when you differentiate and you link versus the suffering you feel that goes into rigidity or chaos. And it turns out in the 1980s, this was just now 10 years after that, mathematicians had looked at the mathematics of complex systems, which are systems capable of being open and, and capable of being chaotic and nonlinear, meaning a small input leads to large and difficult to predict results. That complex system, it turns out, has an emergent set of properties, something arises from the interaction of components and parts. And one of those emergent properties is self-organization. And I'm reading this like at four in the morning, and I go, oh my God, look at this. It says, optimal self-organization goes between chaos on the one hand and rigidity on the other. And I go, oh my God, there it is. And I said, how do you get to optimal self-organization? I keep on reading, reading you differentiate new link. Wow. And then I went, oh my Lord. <laughs> and from that moment on, that was over 30 years ago, yeah. they didn't have a name for it in the math. So I talked to some mathematicians. I said, I'm going to name it integration. This balance of differentiation on the one hand, linkage on the other leads to optimal self-organization with quality of harmony in terms of your question, how does it feel? When you look at climate change, Human beings have excessively differentiated ourselves from the system of nature. And in that excessive differentiation, we're not linking to nature. So we're blocking integration. That's all the chaos and rigidity you see. Chaos would be hurricanes and floods. The rigidity would be droughts, you know, and this, this loss of biodiversity. So whether it's with the whole system of nature on earth or the individual, it looked like integration was well-being. So what happened was I said, well, the second idea was for humanity, consciousness is needed for change. It's why I write these books is to try to have a conversation about what we're aware of. And so around this table, I said to my patients, I said, let's try a little experiment. Let's integrate consciousness. And they go, what are you talking about? And this is before I knew about meditation or anything. It's like back in the 90s. And I'm going, look, if integration is health and consciousness is needed for change, what if we 
integrated those two things, integrated consciousness. So how did they do that? So they came around this very table right here that you see. And I said, consciousness has the experience of both the knowing, that's awareness, mm -hmm. and the known. It's like if I say, good morning. Mm -hmm. There's the sound, good morning, but there's the awareness, I say, good morning. So we put in the hub of this table, no one wanted to call it the table of awareness, so it got to be called the wheel of awareness, but in the center, we metaphorically, we said, let's place the metaphoric notion of awareness in the center. And then around the rim with this little thing looking like a spoke, we could move around the rim. We put place the known. So in the first quarter of this, we had energy flow from outside the body that you get through your eyes with sight, photon basically, mm -hmm. get through your ears with hearing, and then smell, taste, and touch. And then you move the spoke over to the next segment, which was like the feeling in the body, the energy and flow in the body, organs, muscle, bones. Then we moved over to another segment, which was mental activities, probably in the head, emotions, memories, thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, longings, desires, dreams, stuff like that. Then we moved it over to the fourth segment, which was the relationality of yourself with people you knew, people you didn't know, with all of nature. And then one of my patients came up with this idea, which became part of the practice, because this is just was individual patients, of bending the spoke around and exploring the hub. Mm -hmm. And time would disappear for her. The first patient did it. And then I started doing with other patients, same thing. It was, it was empty but full. I feel love, I feel harmony. Mm. So then I started doing my students who were therapists. They started having the same experience themselves, that the hub was already in from the rim. So then I said, well, how's it going with your patients? And they were getting over things like mild to moderate depression, People who trauma. How do, you, how do you actually do that? Like, what do you mean? Then the oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a. I in those days I called it a reflective practice mm -hmm. because I was trained in, in you doing. Didn't got, have other words, yeah. You know, so it, and later when I met John Kabat-Zinn and Jack Cornfield, mm -hmm. they said, "Well, that's a meditation." Yeah. I said, "What do you mean?" They go, "Well, it's like a meditation." I said, "Well, I, and What's I that? and I didn't know about mindfulness meditation. Yeah. It was the funniest thing because I was recorded." When I talked to John Kabat-Zinn, it was live in front of a big audience. Yeah. And the recording is hilarious because I don't know anything about mindfulness yeah. or meditation, nothing. You know, I was a scientist and a yeah. clinician. So it's hilarious. And Jack Cornfield, who will be teaching you, you know, it was so funny. That's a long story. But the bottom line I want to just say about this is, well, I ended up doing the Wheel of Awareness as a reflective practice. Let's call it a meditation. I ended up doing it with 50,000 people in person before the viral pandemic hit. How? In workshops. Oh. That's how much teaching I was doing. Wow. But what happened was I had this data from 50,000 people that did the wheel. Whoever decided a percentage of those to share their experience. Mm -hmm. The most common thing in that hub, just to focus on that, was it's empty but full. It's timeless. Mm -hmm. And it's love. Like what I, in the meditation today, yeah. I was taking. I'm telling you. Unborn and unceasing. Yeah. But but I still so, don't understand it. I'm going to get to the quantum stuff here. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That too. But oh, well, how, how do they do this? How do they oh, get to the middle? So Was basically, the yeah, the method is, and I have it on our website. We've had lots and lots of people for free just do yeah. this meditation. Yeah. And I'll do books about it. But the the way the way it's done in the simplest way is there's a recording or I'm in a workshop. I just, mm -hmm. and I guide people to. First, they picture the wheel, then they can close their eyes if they want, then they imagine 
moving this metaphoric spoke of attention to different things, hearing, seeing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I do it every morning. So I'm doing it with my own voice, but you know, so they're listening to my voice and it's a guided reflective practice that I guess you could call meditation. It's training the mind. And mindfulness, I would say. Mindfulness. Yeah. And then we, we bend the spoke around or I did turn it. Turn the awareness. Turn the awareness. And I did this in Germany and, and a, and a monk who was there, a Buddhist monk said, I love this, but I don't want to bend this spoke. I want to retract it. I said, okay, retract it. And other people said, I don't want to retract it or bend it. I want to leave it in the, the hub. I said, I'll leave it in the hub. Another person said, I don't want to bend it, retract it, or leave it in there. I want to just dissolve it and just be in the hub. I said, well, then be in the <laughs> hub. So it was a metaphor and it gives you the freedom. Whatever visual works for you, I do it yeah. different ways every time. But the idea is pure awareness. Why do people say empty but full? So I was with 150 physicists. Asking them, I proposed in the early 90s that the mind was an emergent property of energy. So now I was with physicists who study energy. I said, what is energy? And they said, energy is the movement from possibility to actuality, which is an amazing phrase from physics, mm -hmm. possibly to actuality. So I drew the diagram. I said, is this what you mean? Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah. I said, well, I have this thing called the wheel of awareness. They go, what's that? I go, well, don't worry about that. But here's what it looks like that, and this is a long story, but there's a, something called a probability distribution curve you can see on this side. So that if I say, of the, let's say we have a million words to say, if I say ocean, it becomes a peak up here. But before I say ocean, there's a pool of all the possible words. Let's just, as an example, say there's a million. So the chance of you knowing the word MSA is one out of a million. So that's near zero. So this is called near zero probability right here. That pool of so, all things so that could be- So that's from the general to the specific. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is, in physics terms, this correlates according to my physics colleagues, the formless source of all form is a physics term, not poetry. Really? Sounds like Buddhism. I know, I know. So it's, it's what, what Arthur Zions calls the sea of potential. It's called the quantum vacuum. So this is what I think the mind is, that the mind goes from the formless source of all form, which I think is the source of consciousness, mm -hmm. up to plateaus of states of mind, like attitudes, like there are only five words when you say that are the oceans in the world or something. And then from those plateaus, you have certain peaks. So if you have a belief the self is separate because you've heard that as a noun, mm -hmm. you're going to have a very strong, rigid plateau, which makes you only experience certain thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings, interactions with others mm -hmm. as these peaks. And so what you want to do is give people the opportunity, whether it's through a meditation, like the wheel or any other meditation, or I think psychedelics work this way, actually. Mm -hmm. They draw people into the plane possibility mm -hmm. where it's a natural portal through which integration arises and you become free. And that's why one or two uses of psychedelics do it. That's why people do the wheel, mm -hmm. find the same thing the wheel works for in clinical practice is what and, psychedelics and there, use there's I think we talked a little bit about Dzogchen. Yeah, yeah, well, remind me. That's right. Yeah. We talked about Dzogchen, that in the Blue, it's, Blue Spirit. It's, it's the highest teachings of the Tibetan tradition. And this, this down here, is called Zhi. Zhi. It's Z-H-I. Zhi. And it's, it's translated as the ground ah, or the base. Okay. Or the ground of being. Mm -hmm. And it's that ground of being is empty. Yet it contains cognizance. Mm -hmm. 
and it is pregnant with all phenomena. Exactly. The formless source of all forms. Yeah. yeah. And yes. And and it's also Prashnaparamita in the Mahayana system. So that that pregnant zero, which is a word, uh, Joanna Macy came up with. Oh, beautiful. For, uh, for Prashnaparamita. And you, you know her. I know Joanna. Yeah, yeah, very she's close. a mentor. Oh, me too. Yeah. Shared mentor. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, this is the ground of being and this is phenomena. Mm-hmm. And so the ground of being has the potential for all phenomena. And yet it is nothing in itself. Exactly. Formless. Yeah. And so it, it, it then, phenomena exists, sort of comes out of that, is born out of that, mm-hmm. but is never separate from it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where what blew my mind, because I did this with so many people, is it looks like the metaphor of a wheel of awareness, where pure awareness is the hub. It looks like the hub, as a metaphor, is the mechanism of the formless source of all form. Mm-hmm. So this, is, this became so exciting to see this from the 50,000 people who did it and the few yeah. who you could say without any background in Buddhism or background in physics, people would say these things and they would say it was filled with love. So as a scientist, I had to say, well, those patterns, you know, they are just as a scientist. I'll, I'll say this, I mean, with all of us talking together, this is why Interconnected was so both exciting to write and challenging because I begin with indigenous teachings because this is actually from various indigenous cultures from around the world, independently found. So it's called consilient from E.O. Wilson's term from years ago. When you find similar truths by independent pursuit, we call it consilient. Mm-hmm. So indigenous teachings have taught this for thousands of years. Contemplative teachings, not Buddhism and other practices, thousands of years. So in science, maybe for 40 years, we can start looking at the mathematics of complex systems, 100 years, quantum physics. But from applying this in meditation, maybe the last 12 years, to say there's something really, really powerful about accessing that plane of possibility, the, the hub of the wheel, so that you're freed from the illusion that those plateaus create, that give you limited peaks. And if they're noun-like plateau, then, and what I try to do in the book in a very direct and simple way is say, we have an opportunity as a human family to realize business as usual has created a solo self, a view of the self as separate, as self only in the body. And although it may be creating the pandemic of climate change and racism and social injustice and polarization and misinformation and the addiction we have to screens and loneliness. The good news about the mind having created this problem is that we have time still, a window of opportunity to actually turn away to do what Joanna would say, Joanna Macy, the great turning Mm -hmm. to make a quantum change in how we define the self. So that's why I wrote the book was I just felt like we need to have a conversation as a family, as a human family. Whoops, we got it wrong. The self is not a noun and the self is not separate. Okay, people have been trying to live that way and they've been miserable, full of chaos and rigidity. Guess what? That We can feel terrible about that and just stop or we can feel terrible about it, realize it and course correct. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what the great journey can be. Yeah. So you have a practical way for people to do that and yeah. that's doing the wheel? The wheel and also there's nine domains of integration and even the audio engineer, when he was listening to me read the book, he started feeling this change. He had to pause because he couldn't do the engineering and I had to go into the booth and say, what's going on? He said, I don't know. I'm just listening to these words and uh, something's changing in me. So I said, okay, here's what the book is about. You make a little change, but I need you to be the audio engineer <laughs> to do this recording. Be a noun. <laughs> yeah, be, be a noun for now. You know, make your edits. So my hope is that, sure, you could do a wheel of awareness practice or probably many, many different yeah, yeah. But the And I have that in the back of the book as an appendix. But the invitation is that there may be windows of opportunity for each person that is different. Some may be meditators. Some may be having the awe of being out in nature. Some may really be just a conversation. For some, it's even just the word we. They feel freed up, realizing I don't have to choose between am I in the body, individualistic, like American culture, or am I collectivistic? Do I just get rid of the body and say, I'm just a we? We is an integrative word because it says you're both me mm-hmm. and we. So for some people, actually, they the biggest, hit, the biggest effect they get from the wheel of awareness is it talks about we in the wheel practice. And they start going, wow, I can now walk around realizing I am a verb and a noun. Mm-hmm. I have a body. And I, and I love that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you feel that this individual shift can change the collective course that we're on and is is there a way to take this it just seems to me that people meditating or doing the wheel or having the we experience is not going to change this course that we're on that somehow there needs to be some sort of larger impactful you know or is it from the is it the individuals shifting that is going to change the collective and there is no way to change the collective except through the individual? It's a fantastic question, Lama. And we will see, or we will see. You know, the the I think there's a term Arthur Zions introduced to me that I talk about in the book called pervasive leadership. So that every human being has the capacity for embodying what they feel is the truth and moving out into the world with the truth. So, of course, we want the individual to feel the freedom that comes from realizing you're a noun and a verb, you're a we. And we want people in government. So I work in different governmental agencies and I work in parliaments trying to teach the science of interconnection so people who create national policy can start realizing, as one parliamentarian said, you know, I felt so much love in the hub, but I couldn't share it with my colleagues because they think I was weak. So I said to him, mm. I said, when you make national policy, are you leaving love and the equation of how you're making laws? Mm-hmm. And his eyes got really big. And so it, people in government, it could be people running organizations, you know, who mm-hmm. wake up to really, the, the good news about this is, there's a deep truth, which I try to really describe from a science point of view, building on indigenous teachings, building on contemplative wisdom, mm-hmm. for sure. In some ways, it's not new. 
But now, as you're saying, we've got to reach lots and lots of people. So pervasive leadership just says the individual can do this. The person who's in a formal position of authority in government and mm-hmm. in, in businesses. So if you can reach, to reach them, them, them too. Yeah. Big impact. So it's really about the word conversation. Con means with versus to turn. Having a conversation about this will turn our attention and maybe help create the great turning that Joanna Macy is inviting us to do, to get away from business as usual. And the good news is business as usual is actually pretty tragic for everyone, for all organisms, for all humans. Even if you're in the top of the money part of it, people are actually miserable. Studies show when in fact, if we can work together to shift the way we identify what the self is, and realize this broader belonging is available. I think it's possible. And to me, as a human being on the planet, as a clinician, when I think about it, it's kind of like, you know, if someone came to me who was limping and said, I'm limping, what should I do? I said, well, let's take off your shoe. Let's take off your sock. Let's see if there's a splinter. And lo and behold, we find the splinter. We remove the splinter. So instead of the person just limping, I feel like humanity has been limping through the world because of the splinter of the lie of the solo self. So these are just ways of having conversation at all levels of human interaction to- The solo self and and also the illusion that accumulation of material things is going to lead to happiness. Which comes from the solo self view because you feel so miserable thinking you're just this body, well, I better get more toys than, or something. That's what we're told exactly. And that, Production, consumption, production, consumption cycle is what what business as usual is made from. Yeah, capitalism. Yeah, but you know, the good news is there can be a kind of capitalism, Paul Hawkins talks about this, where it's for a greater good, Mm -hmm. you know, where people can be excited to have their own project and, you know, so it's creative creative that way. And where you realize the new profit is not the money you make, but how everyone benefits. Love that. So... Are you going to be teaching online more about this? Yes. Have some things coming up. I've got a number of different things going on in different settings. And, you know, come join us however you can at the Mindsight Institute. Mindsight.com. Mindsightinstitute.com or drdansiegel.com if you want to do the wheel. It's, there's going to be many opportunities. Garrison Institute is where a nonprofit I work at. We're going to have a whole day about this through the fellows of the Garrison Institute. So. Yeah, I think there's lots of opportunities and you'll find your own unique way if this feels like it matters and has meaning uh, to have pervasive leadership and make it um, something we do together. One of the things that I feel is so interesting about you is how you came to this kind of by yourself, like from the outside, but you came to this, to the absolute truth and the relative truth. And I think that's your gift is because you came at it through your experience as a clinician and with people, as well as your scientific background, you have the ability to explain it and bring it to people that might be put off by the idea of of Buddhism or some other kind of ism, that it's really come out of just your own intuition and understanding and not even knowing what mindfulness is, mm-hmm. not, not knowing that the ground and being is already a teaching that's been taught for 2,000 years. 
Right. So uh, it's, a, it's a gift that you have this academic background and that you are respected in that way so that you can take this into parliaments or into, I'm thinking about this climate conference that's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. Like you could possibly be there. Mm. I mean, they, they would have somebody like you at that, you right. know, because you have all these traditional ways that you are qualified to be there. So that's really powerful to have that possibility. And I'm excited to be with you in Costa Rica. And mm -hmm. I'm excited for this book, for the world. I mean, I know we don't want to get too inflated about our impact, but I do feel like this could change the world mm -hmm. if people could really understand it and, and then find a way personally to connect with it and then bring that into their communities. So I mm -hmm. want to thank you mm -hmm. thank for you, what Anna. you're doing. Thank and you. it's been great to have this conversation. Thank you for your kind words and thank you for being you and you know the joining of our our collective worlds is I think the path forward. Yeah. 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 Love to all of you out there. Thank you everyone for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings and I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising, and also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.